Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 128, brought to you by executive producer Shauna Perez. Thank you very much for your support. heard is it fear from the no twist uh this record metal podcast i'm mark and i'm jason and uh tonight we're venturing into some uh some strange territory i guess for us well i guess it could kind of go back to our uh progressive metal episode that we did with our episodes that we did with jeff wagner about his uh mean deviation book truly progressive music is stuff that you know challenges boundaries and Really, some of these you're going to be doing, what the fuck are they even thinking? But sure. in a good way. <laughs> yeah, and uh, well, you know, what you just heard there, for those of you unfamiliar with the No Twist, um, which is a German band uh, that... From the Munich area, if you want to get specific. From the Munich area, yeah, made up of the uh, the brothers uh, Marcus and Michael Acker, correct? Yeah. And uh, Michael 
uh, is on bass, but Martin or Marcus, excuse me, is the the one that is kind of the primary songwriter of the No Twist throughout their whole career. He's the vocalist and the guitar player. And at this point, we have was it Martin Messerschmidt? Yep, just like the uh, the plane yeah. from World War II, I believe, uh, on on drums. And um, to to the unassuming person who hears a song like "Is It Fear" and maybe this is the first you know song you've ever heard uh, from them, you know you wouldn't be too far off base in saying that you heard some. You know, Dinosaur Jr. and Sonic Youth and even some kind of post-punk Fugazi-isms mixed with even like some odd kind of Voivod kind of approaches to songwriting. And There's bits of Metallica in yeah, there. I mean, there's whole like the crusty kind of Louisville stuff happening. indie rock scene. You can yeah. feel, you know, hear that kind of stuff going on as well. It's kind of all over the place. So this song might not sort of throw you for as much of a curveball, but, um, you know, when we get, when we show how this band sort of progresses, um, I, I think it will... I don't want to say floor people, but they, they might kind of go to a place that they weren't really sure they maybe either wanted to go or weren't sure they would yeah. end up on. Um, but that's what's sort of neat about this band. And as Mark said, it kind of fits the pattern that, that Jeff Wagner kind of had laid out uh, and used Voivod, for example, as as a pattern, you know, for how much they changed throughout their career to where you got to a point like Angel Rat from Voivod, which is a film album I'm not terribly familiar with, but I know it's it's just a different record, you know, and very divisive between uh, fans. And yeah, sure. I think isn't that the one that Jeff said he could write an entire book about? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 the No Twist is sort of the same way. Um, I have encountered people who are into the No Twist who got into the their later stuff and could not go back to the self titled record, which we'll, we'll get to talking about here in a second, which you just heard. Is it Fear from and Nook and and some of that stuff um, because it was just too different from where they ended up you know yeah me i like their whole sort of canon in its own way i mean there's parts that i like more because i feel like some of their ideas as you'll hear as we progress through this podcast some of their ideas like are interesting but not quite complete yet but they're they have a couple of transitional records yeah. yeah they're moving towards towards different places and that's much like any band you know that that changes their sound quite a bit um you know and similar to uh, you know this is a way long time ago but uh, when we did the pyogenesis podcast absolutely that shows you know where they started out as this like very very kind of uh oppressive doom band Mm -hmm. and then eventually became a weird kind of punk pop amalgam I mean, of like just, all these different styles you had the sitar on twin l blood and all kinds I mean, yeah, of other and twin l blood was just i mean that's that's probably like the penultimate uh example i think mm-hmm. having that straight death metal meets alternative rock meets whatever else i mean just yeah. and somehow it worked sure. at least you know and I, and I don't think i don't think when we get to nook here in the next uh set of music i don't think that that record is is completely dissimilar from a twin l blood um if not as Twin L Blonde was like consciously different. Like you could tell they were yeah. trying to push boundaries. Nook just sort of naturally occurs as a record, but you'll hear all these really strange influences. And in fact, the next song you'll hear from us, which is another song from their self-titled, which was put out in 1991 uh, on Subway Records and then distributed actually through Cargo Records, which did a whole bunch of punk stuff and and uh, you know crusty stuff and 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 was a weird offshoot that distributed a lot of I think European and British stuff if I'm not mistaken it was a German mm-hmm. kind of thing um, uh, but they associate with Caroline was a Caroline cargo for a while I don't know no Caroline was a whole different sort of distribution deal I think they were 
they may have distributed some of the cargo stuff, but I'm not for sure. But I know cargo I've seen like attached to some like weird records here and there um, through the years. For, yeah, I'm just thinking Men at Work right now, but that's just their <laughs> yeah, album title. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like we said, some of those influences that they're you know you're hearing in there, especially the, the stuff like the Dinosaur Junior and the Sonic Youth, you'll hear that sort of consistent. I mean, even in their their newer stuff, it's there in a weird way. But um, as is, I guess, the post-punk kind of fugaziisms, you know. Mm-hmm. So why are we doing no twist, you know, for for a Requiem Metal podcast? I guess is the 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 question you may be asking. Um, well, we, we've got actually some people that uh, that actually ask for why, you know, since you guys are talking about all this stuff that's not metal, why don't you start doing you know a couple yeah. of shows like this? And since this is kind of a good inroad, it's not completely dissimilar to some of the stuff no. we talk about. No. I mean there's lots of, you know, like helmet and uh, you know, quicksand ish vibes. I mean, similar to like what Deftones yeah, have sure. done. Uh, I think this kind of, this band kind of falls in line with that stuff. So this is kind of like a good entry point, I think, a good band to start with that's that's not completely off you know off base to do. Yeah, and I don't I think if you listen to where they came from, there's no way even if you get to the end of the show and, and it's not maybe your complete cup of tea you can't go and, and look at these guys and say like that they were either sellouts or that they're kind of a bunch of indie rock wusses or something like that because yeah. they're they show their muscle early on and clearly they're a band that's interested in evolution and and they do it and and well, so I think about it, atmosphere you know? that's kind of the number one thing is yeah. like you know figuring out how how can you make you know get this kind of like gloomy kind of sardonic atmosphere through through music and it doesn't have to always be aggressive music no. it can be really somber stuff well and that's one of the one of the bands will we'll sort of mention or you know their influences maybe i mean i don't know i wouldn't be surprised if no twist either really knew beyond dawn very well or had never heard of them it wouldn't surprise me either way you yeah. know but beyond dawn is a you know this unsettling kind of norwegian band that we, we were bound to do a podcast of sooner or later that um you know if you listen to them like maybe one spin, they might not do much for you because you might not really, they're not like obviously like in your face with anything. Mm-hmm. They're very subtle in a lot of ways. And I think this band um, has these weird subtleties, um, especially in the vocal department where it always seems like you said. They're understated. Yeah, it's a disconnection from the music almost. Or, I mean, or I'm something. trying to think of another band that does. I mean, you know, Party Helicopters is an obscure example. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, like a band where they're, they almost actually, here's a more uh, current reference, the new demon as record. I don't know if you've heard that or mm-hmm. not. Not yet. Uh, demon as from, you know, it used to be the guitar player for Immortal. uh, put out a solo record where the, they're not quite this understated, but as far as like production wise, they're not as important. It's just like, it's not, you know, like a typical pop record. The vocals are always going to be real high in the mix. Yeah. And this is all just kind of mixed right in. Yeah. For, yeah. for a factor. I could see that. Yep. And, uh, and so that, there's something like consistent vocally throughout this band's career in in that sort of disconnect. I, I mentioned Slint. I think there's certain things like on Slint Spiderland that like it almost seems like the vocalist was was like in a different world from where the songs were, but yet well, somewhere like, in the middle, you know, the, the timing like and stuff where it's just like basically, basically he's just talking. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. <laughs> and then starts screaming and June of 44 kind of stuff too. Yep. And, yep. and these are all bands maybe you're familiar with or not familiar with. And, and maybe this is the beginning of, of something that Mark and I will, will, will try throughout, you know, sprinkle throughout, which is a, I don't know if you want to call it the, um, 
the metalheads guide to cool on metal bands or something, whatever, whatever you want to think of it as that's maybe the approach we're taking, because this is a band that certainly walks in the circles of darkness that a lot of metal bands do without having to be, you know, like full on evil or loud or even, you yeah. know, even though those elements are here, especially in the, the next set of music. But, you know, for my money, you know, bands like Radiohead or Portishead um, have these darkness or massive attack have these elements of mm-hmm. just very like, mythic darkness that's this really foreboding atmosphere that they can present to the audience and i don't see why even like you know uh bjorg vester uh, was vespers yeah vespertine um you know but i mean even a lot of the the sort of stuff yeah mm-hmm. bjorg is sort of falls in that that like i think electronic music when done right can really capture that atmosphere but it can also be done wrong just usually and, metal and i think people i think people like l jorgensen and trent reznor and and um Justin Broderick and, mm-hmm. and you know Tommy Victor and, and guys from Swans and 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 some of those people have certainly presented that in a way where you know Swans has never sold itself as a metal band ever, but yeah. they certainly have had a massive influence. You know, um, our friend Chris uh, Chris Dick, who sometimes does a podcast recently in a Decibel, just did Killing Joke as mm-hmm. a Hall of Fame entry to Decibel, and they're another band. You know, the just just reaped in sort of dark atmosphere in a lot of their stuff and very electronic and coming out of the new wave scene and mm-hmm. electro pop and some of the stuff, the new order and joy division and things yeah. that we're kind of coming from. So, you know, I don't know all of that stuff, I guess, informs a band like the no twist in a way. And to me, it informs, you know, metal bands, uh, in, in some ways. And I know, especially, you know, your catatonias and stuff who, who have completely, I mean, if you looked at catatonia's career compared to the, to no twist, it's not really that far removed as far as how far they've, progressed but still keeping that same kind of understanding of who they are oh know, yeah uh, thematically as far as you know vocally not, uh, not vocally but lyrically and uh, and definitely the atmosphere that this surrounds the band going from you know strict like almost black metal mm-hmm. sounding stuff up till new stuff that could almost i don't even know what you'd necessarily describe it as just rock music really sure. yeah and i and i mentioned that when we get to nook which is this the record that comes after the self-titled which is more mature and more fully realized, I think, especially of their early records. Um, it, it has the same type of weird vibe that Brave Murder Day had, not in its you know black metal and doom metal elements, that, mm-hmm. the, but in terms of just taking like the sonic qualities of pop music and layering them with like some some very metallic elements, and and it's not poppy metal per se because mm-hmm. it won't even come and sound like that. But when you hear like the drums on Brave Murder Day. It's so simply, you know, it's like very, I don't know, you're a drummer. How would you describe the way that they approach a lot of I mean, the, it's, it's the kind drum. of traditional. Yeah, it's just very almost. like. And the user like, uh, too. yeah, that doesn't necessarily have to have 500 cymbal hits and double bass no, to make the thing work. It's almost you know? poppy beats, though, you know. Oh, absolutely. Very, and it keeps, it's actually a different, it's a, it's a different beat than what, you know, the guitar is doing mm-hmm. as well. And just kind of, it just gives it air and makes mm-hmm. it breathe, which I, is refreshing. And I think there's a lot of counter stuff that happens, um, on Nook and then the self-titled and even like even even throughout their career it's all almost like what No Twist were always doing musically was sort of like um, crossing different patterns and, and crossing different genres like mm-hmm. in the same song but not like they weren't kitchen sinking it in a way where it was like stuffed so full that it could be almost overwhelming like maybe some of the progressive metal bands have been in the past where yeah. you're, you're almost like don't know what to listen to but yeah, this, yeah. this is like seamless in a way you know well it seems like so, you know like 
almost every member of the band is like almost representing a different genre of music mm. or something. You know, the drummers clearly, well, it seems to come from some kind of metal or thrash background. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or at least, you know, hardcore punk or something. And I can hear, I can hear elements of what these guys are doing in modern day, like say Dillinger Escape Plan, for instance, mm-hmm. is, yeah. is a, is a perfect example of a band that isn't informed and evolving in that sort of sense, you know, and well, I that's fully willing to embrace pop sensibilities. Oh, you know? and I remember when I interviewed Dillinger escape plan way back when, when calculating infinity came out, um, you know, the majority of our conversation had to do with, uh, Radiohead, Portishead, Bjork, Jeff Buckley, um, all the stuff that they were really listening to, which influenced calculating infinity even. Mm-hmm. And, and to like a lot of metal people or punk people that was like almost like blasphemous, but you and I have talked about this too, and Wagner in the mm-hmm. deviation episode about the stage that we were in at that point in the late nineties, early two thousand. We need more. And yeah, like <laughs> we were, we were like not disinterested in metal, but like metal wasn't presenting us with as many challenges, and so we were reaching out and looking for some different things. And um, you know, and and when Dillinger said that in that interview, I was like, oh, these guys are like us. You know, like they're it's validating your yeah, life choices. Yeah, <laughs> and then Jonas from Catatonia, the same, yep. and, and all that sort of stuff. And it's right around that time period, actually, in the the early two thousands, that a friend of ours, Trevor Nod, um, who used to hang out the record store with us, and he used to help me with the radio show sometimes, mm-hmm. quite often. And he would he was sort of like our our gateway to like a lot of uh, weird indie rock sort of stuff. And we were his gateway drug to like some other things. I remember having a listening session with like Entombed and Carcass and he was like kind of fascinated by the whole yeah. vegan sort of stuff and he's a good friend of ours who lives still in this area uh, even though we don't catch up with him that much uh, maybe you're listening out there Trevor <laughs> it's like Casey Kasem you know uh, but um, he he introduced the No Twist to us and I, I remember his selling point was they're sort of like the German Radiohead and, I, and, and when I heard Neon Gold and that kind of made sense to me I guess yeah. in some way yeah. even though I'm not I don't want to sell either band short because they're not really like each other that much it's just they have those sensibilities to them that you know mm-hmm. of full, even even full look experimentation. at where Radiohead came out of I mean it was almost just like an alternative rock background yeah. that that morphed you into know? like you know doing these things with like you know loops and blips and, and click yeah. tracks and electronics and, and different things and textures and stuff so um, and then that's kind of where, where this band kind of came from. And he knew he could hook us too by playing us some of the old stuff and with these like metal like elements to it. Oh, and, absolutely. You know, um, so anyways, that's, that's kind of where Mark and I sort of stumbled into this band. Then we went backwards and sort of traced their career back and, and they're, uh, they're a neat band and, and hopefully, you know, you, you'll enjoy the ride of, of this cause it's, it is a little bit different, but, um, you know. The 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 next stuff that we're sort of going to get into, we've got one more from the self-titled, and um, something that's kind of interesting about "I've Not Forgotten You" uh, is like the thrash. The first like ninety seconds or so of this song is like an introduction before it sort of settles into being, I guess, what you would say an atypical no twist song with you know kind of vocal patterns and stuff. Well, there's a, I mean, there's a heavy carcass heartwork well, that's B-side kind of vibe. Yeah, it, yeah. You know? It's almost it's, like a rehearsal tape sound yeah. to the riff. Almost like a swan song heartwork yeah. kind, of, kind of era mixed with, like, I always, I kept saying, like, I kept hearing Death Angel board, you know, sort of in the middle of it. I mean, even Anthrax kind of I was getting like a little bit of a prong overkill. vibe, too. Yeah, there's some of that, too. <laughs> it's it's weird, you know, and, uh, and it's here, and it's kind of, like, mixed into it, and then, you know, Marcus Ocker's vocals kind of come in, and it just turns into sort of a normal early nineties indie alternative grunge, whatever, you know, yeah. it has that sort yeah. of normal feel to it. 
Um, and then from the self-titled, they, they evolved pretty quickly with uh, with Nook, which is um, their second record. And this is probably the one of their early stuff, and, and you probably would agree, that you pull out the most rather than, it's, say, like Neon Golden and stuff. It's Yeah, it's most fully formed from that early era, I think, as far as consistency of sound. It's not as all over the place as well. Not The first one's not all over the place, but it's not as focused. As no, it is. sounds like a bunch of 19-year-olds throwing together a record. You know, like yeah. even when you open up like the, the booklet to the self-titled and you, you see some of the photos and stuff like that, I mean, you've got the guy with like dreads with, with a conflict shirt on. You know, so like yeah. these are like kids that they are just yeah, total trying come to out figure out. Anarcho, yeah, yeah. Who, who the hell knows at this point? And uh, definitely, like the cover to the first record is a kind of a DIY kind of feel to it, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff like that. And then you get to Nook, and, and Nook sort of looks like, I guess, a typical 1993 like alternative metal release, you know, like it looks like, like it could helmet, be or like the tool or tool anything, or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. And it, and that's a cool. Those are bands that I think were informing, or they were part of that sort of process, mm-hmm. you know, with this opening tune, uh, or well, not the opening tune, but the opening tune from Nook. Which will be the second song we'll hear, which is uh, "Belle de l'Ambre," which means uh, the shade, the beautiful shade, right? Or beautiful shade, yes, beautiful shade. Yeah. Uh, slash walk on. It's a little intro, and then which sounds like on. a helmet song. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's like helmet, quicksand, Jesus lizard. You know, I, I I read somewhere somebody said it's like merciful fate meets helmet. You know, which I thought See, was I, yeah, I, kind of hilarious. I couldn't get I the merciful know, fate reference. I think out it's of that, that opening but... like riff, but but that's just probably someone who doesn't listen to metal writing that, a review of No Twist. You know I mean? That could totally be. But there's another band that I'd like to throw into the mix <clears throat> that I think falls, uh, as far as this kind of band's acceptance, is uh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin, which I'd like to do a show on at some point, just of the Godfather record. Uh-huh. Um, when but, did that come out, though? Because this is 90. Nook I think is, it came out 90. Nook is 92. Okay, so it would have predated it. Yeah, yeah. but that whole scene of, uh, you know, because they had the very similar, like, bass sounds. Where bass, I mean, Ned's had two bass players. They had one that played a, a higher register bass and a lower register bass that really basically constructed the songs, and the guitar was just kind of almost, you know... Uh, I guess reggae influenced uh-huh. <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, but that's one of those like bands. That. Like as far as like in, like energy and and the the crossover between metal and uh, and and your regular passerby, I guess was, sure. was pretty huge. Yeah. So, and you get even like a vibe on on walk on two of uh, the fucking champs kind of, mm-hmm. but but sort of irony free without like the irony hipster kind <laughs> of Thor is like a mortal. Yeah, yeah, you know, which I I like the fucking champs and stuff, but I guess I didn't realize what that whole sort of hipster douchebag kind of ironic metal thing would eventually evolve into and it's kind of become just you know annoying on well and those are the people that end up buying records that we should really that we really deserve from yeah. record stores exactly. <laughs> yeah yeah quit taking Damn, our used I wanted records. my exodus record you yeah dick. stupid idiots and then we've got the uh the self-titled to nook um which has some really cool subtle double bass sort of stuff happening and this is where you especially pointed out like the industrial sort of prong vibe mm-hmm. to some of the riffs and even there's this great slowdown riff in it um that really is reminiscent of like master of puppets sort of era metallica and stuff like that. You know, I mean, there's just some really, really nifty things kind of happening. Well, and the, the, uh, the Bella de la, Ma, la, la Ombre? Yeah, the walk-on too. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, there's a huge forever or wherever I may roam by. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Black totally, album. totally. Even like how the bass comes in, it reminds me of some of the live performances I've seen yep. on DVD or whatever. Yeah. And so, you know, so thrash is all over these guys, you know, even though they'll, they'll eventually evolve into something else, they're, they're definitely 
people who are listening to and appreciating metal on some level mm-hmm. and blending it in with the, some of their sonic euthivisms and dinosaur juniorisms and things like that. And then we're going to come out with uh, with two tunes to sort of close this set, The Incredible Change of Our Alien and uh, Johnny and Mary. Um, and Incredible Change of Alien, all I'll say about this tune, uh, with the you'll know it when it comes in with the, the banjo, is this is sort of the beginning of some different, I guess, sonic textures and things that will, will kind of inform this the This is kind of their future. first like big kind of pop anthemic song, mm-hmm. I think, too. Yep, and then and, and Johnny and Mary will uh, will keep that one a secret yeah. and uh, come come and talk <laughs> back. That might be a surprise to you, unless you're a fan of the original Robert Palmer yeah. song. So we've got I've Not Forgotten You, uh, Walk On, Nook, and The Incredible Change of Our Alien, and then we'll close things out with a cover of Johnny and Mary.
Johnny and Mary, The Incredible Change of Our Alien, Nook, Belle de Lambre, Walk On, and then we started with I've Not Forgotten You. So how'd you like uh, Johnny and Mary there? Ooh. Or it breaks into the Zyklon riff. Yeah, that's like a, <laughs> almost like a pantheonium sort of thing with the, the weird electronic, saxy kind of sounds yeah. mixed with death metal. And... But it kind of totally worked. Like, oh, yeah. That was one of the, I think that was the song that like hooked me initially was that was like, okay, these guys are... It didn't seem like it was coming from a sense of irony. Mm-mm. It was like, okay, this is what the song needs because it's about... I'm guessing, I didn't read the lyrics to Johnny and Mary, but I'm guessing it's some kind of like bad you know breakup or, or something like a jack and diane yeah <laughs> so so when the shit really hits the fan it, it does musically as well which I, I think is i really appreciate it yeah the beginning of it is probably some along with the incredible change of the, of our alien some of the poppier elements with, mm-hmm. the, with the biggest like hooks you know in yeah. terms of some of that stuff so it goes from that to that sort of death metal breakdown that that just sort of happens with the double double bass drum and i mean it really shows you like the the sort of you know, sonic possibilities of metal and the sonic possibilities of pop. And that yeah. was something Pyogenesis was always sort of skirting the edges. Oh, totally. Uh, you yeah. know, doing all the time. And I mean, even the, uh, a lot of the Norwegian black metal bands that ended up morphing into electronic bands. Yeah. Uh, I think they all kind of, I don't know if they necessarily, it, it was always, it seemed like it was similar to, to no twist. It was always about the kind of emotional vibe they're trying to give off and not necessarily the musical presentation yeah. of it. And even look at like early thorns compared to the 2000, 2000 or 2001 self-titled yep. to where all of this like you know electronic stuff was integrated into it but it seemed like unbelievably sinister yeah you know it's it, very seamless the way they did that and and at the same time a lot of the the more interesting black metal bands and norwegian bands like the Ulvers and slaves and thorns and stuff were able to like kind of take the keyboards but like not do it like Demo Borger style and actually like not the pomposity try, of yeah, it. Yeah, try and sort of figure out a way to sort of blend that in and use it not as keyboards had been used prior, but as like a texturizing element to sort of add mm-hmm. a, a new musical component. And then you even see like later with like Ulver when we get into like the Neon Golden and, and, and Shrink era of this band. You know, like Ulver was probably listening to the same kind of influences that No Twists were. You know, oh, sure. using the glitches and, and some of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and the uh, the blips and, and different. Well, and things. you know, you know, whatever you want to call it, house music or electronic music is huge in Europe. More, sure. I'm way more penetrating than it is in the United yeah. States. Yeah, yeah. And uh, those last two tunes, actually, even though the incredible change of our alien um, can be found on Nook. I uh, we decided to play a version that came from a kind of an obscure EP that I think since has been like used as like a bonus disc uh, for some mm-hmm. re-releases of these records called Only in America, and it was a five song uh, for promotion only thing. It might have even been just a radio only thing. I'm Could not have sure. Been. Yeah, and I I got a hold of it used at the the record store, kind of a lucky find, um, and it's got the Johnny and Mary as well as a, the the cover on it, but. Um, this was put out by Zero Hour Records, which I was trying to tell Mark. Um, I, I feel like Henry Rollins had something to do with it, uh, or was some purveyor of, of Zero Hour Records. It ended up dying. The label did. Uh, they put out some Sea and Cake stuff and some other things, but I want to say it was Zero Hour Records, and I might be completely off base with this. That actually helped, like, re-release some of the uh, Flipper records, but but again, I, I might be completely off. I might be getting Zero Hour confused with some other label that's almost sounded like that. But mm-hmm. uh, Anyways, it was a short-lived American label in the 90s, and, and it put this Only in America EP out, and I think it was like their stab in the dark to try and like get them big, 
But then the problem is, is Zero Hour is going to go out of business after the next two records come out. And, and make them nearly like, impossible it, yeah, to find. Yeah, and then No Twist sort of falls off the face of the planet for a while, you know. But um, one thing that was cool about Incredible Change of Our Alien before we sort of move on to the, the sort of next uh, next era is just how, like, incredibly morbid the lyrics were in that song. You know, it's definitely it's about a murderer and, yeah. and all these other things. And so, you know, I don't know. The, the sort of Germanness of these guys, like Pyogenesis, adds such an odd quality because it's the, the, just when you think you've, like, nailed this band down, they're going to kill you know kill you with death metal like drop or something like yeah. that or, or their most poppy uh song you know incredible change of our alien is about like you know killing people and stuff i mean it's just yeah, it just absolutely more I, I, and there's the kind of a precedent for for the german weirdness yeah. uh, in music and film and everything else and only until i would say fairly recently have there been uh bands that have actually put stuff out that's not just completely uh the, the, that I guess is counter to American taste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, on some level too, you know, I, I mean, it never occurred to me, but it wouldn't be completely dismissive to assume that these guys had some access to to kraut rock as kids, maybe from mm-hmm. their fathers or something. But I mean, well, and even listen to like you know Kraftwerk records and stuff as well. You can see yeah. that kind of weirdness, you know, oh, creep into without it. a doubt. And and the stuff that Bowie uh, and Lou Reed were doing when they moved over mm-hmm. to Berlin in the late seventies, the Hero stuff and and Sound and Vision. So. I don't know. I don't know where, you know, these guys aren't, there's not a lot of interviews with them. I mean, there's a few things here. There's a making of DVD for. Yeah. The stuff that I saw was very just kind of, so how's the new tour going? Yeah. Great. Okay. You know, so like there's not a lot of information available to find out about where all the influences came from these guys, but certainly you could hear those things creeping up Mm -hmm. here and there, you know? Um, But from, from this, they kind of, they put the only in America, EP out uh, in America to help promote their next record, which was 12, um, which is a transitional record. It's kind of like they're, they're trying to recreate some of the elements of Nook, but they're also <laughs> trying to make it like poppier. Mm-hmm. And it, some of it works and some of it doesn't. It's probably the one I listen to the least. Yeah, 12 and Shrink are probably the two I listen to the, the least as well. But, you know, it does have uh, um, a couple of tunes that show up on the Only in America EP, like uh, Torture Day, which they did a mm-hmm. video for, and then M, which is a pretty cool song. Uh, but the is song it about the Fritz Lang movie. What's that? Is M about the Fritz Lang movie? It might be, uh, which again, yeah, <laughs> German. You know, it could be. I, I didn't read the lyrics about if it's like a child killer, yeah. which is what M was about. But um, it, the song we picked was was Puzzle, uh, and and this along with Incredible Change of Our Alien, both both these tunes um, were are sort of starting to be drenched in this like use of sonic youth like dissonant feedback. So it's not like even the, the jangly kind of guitars. Yeah, there's some more kind of. And vibe. it's not like the uh, the straightforward like thrashier stuff that you were hearing on Nook. Mm-hmm. There's still like this noisy sonic scape, but it's now like like you said more Thurston Moore influence or something or yeah. Jamascus some of the stuff he would do um, in a way and very dissonant wall of sound kind of stuff and we even picked up on puzzle um, very much like kind of a shoegazer element you mentioned my vitriol I threw uh, my boy Valentine mm-hmm. you know and those those sort of yeah because the re- driver would be the reason game. I threw yeah uh, my vitriol and is because of the more I guess it was a, it was a different take on on the shoegaze, almost like a novice approach mm-hmm. to it. Like where Kevin Shields would build this beautiful, like wall up behind it. This is almost like flipping a switch kind yep. of, kind yep. of noise. You know? And then Swerve Driver, Swerve Driver, I think would, would be more in that league with what my vitriol was doing. They were mm-hmm. like, 
they were barely a shoegazer band. They were almost just more like just this sonic rock band. You yeah, know, they, they were just were, like extra loud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they soft loud kind of stuff. Yeah. You know? um, and that's the other thing you know that you'll hear in this tune. It's almost like these sharp explosions that kind of fly out at you, kind of mixed with this total like disinterested monotone vocal approach oh, it's yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's it's what kind of makes it's it, almost it, like listening to a guy like sing to himself on the bus or something <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> totally and the think the most important thing that happens on 12 for this band is when um the arrival of martin greshman and martin greshman who also goes by the name console console uh, dude yeah and he's done pop pop a, a pop pop yeah. <laughs> That's for that's just, that's an obscure one for some of you fans out there. You might get that. And he starts doing a lot of the uh, soundscapes and the electronics that mm-hmm. are going to start to be blended in. And he's kind of a guest on Twelve and on the next record, which we'll hear a song from called uh, Electric Bear, uh, which is called Shrink. Their their next record, um, which when did Shrink come out? Yeah. Shrink came out in ninety uh, eight. Ninety eight. Okay. Yeah. And and Twelve was what ninety five? I think ninety five. Okay. Yeah. Well, like kind of the mid 90s uh, an odd time you know not a popular time to be like a loud uh metallic sounding band this is when kind of everyone was starting to it was a resurgence of like the, the vapid pop music yeah you know boy bands all that kind of garbage and and so like they start to experiment you know this is you know 97 was when okay computer came out and i think that was a record that that had massive influence over a lot of bands in terms of what you could do in terms of pushing the boundaries of like traditional pop or rock but yet be totally experimental and and still have like and sell records yeah and yeah. sell records and be recognized critically and so i think that that record was informing a band like these guys and they brought in uh martin greshman and he becomes a full-time member by the time of shrink and he's just really going to sort of make his stamp on the band and i mm-hmm. think he's he along with uh marcus uh Ocker, the the main songwriter they're probably the two most important elements of the band to this day you know i would agree with that yeah. um and he will he when he does after he goes full time on shrink uh we should mention he actually does some songs for bjork on vespertine he produces them right um not all the songs but just a couple of the songs on there yeah but okay. he's part of that and he does some other guest things for um i think he put out a solo record in 99 on matador records uh okay you know, which Again, you know, ninety nine. Like, I yeah, I had all kinds of random crap from Matador at that point. And I don't, I don't think I ever came across that one. No, uh, but you know, who knows? Uh, it may have been something I heard somewhere uh, along the line. Was it under the name of Console? I think it was under the name of Console. Okay. Pop pop. Check so, that out, dude. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, puzzle. Puzzle will go from that into the song from Shrink, which is Electric Bear, uh, a, a wonderful metallic sounding title, I'm sure, yeah. that's going to shock and scare all of you out there. Uh, but here is where you hear a lot of the Beyond Dawn stuff, very sparse, some of the like later over kind of mm-hmm. things, like Perdition City and... Um, what were those EPs? The Oh, geez. I have them over there. Was it Within and Without, maybe? or something? Um, was there Blood in one of them, too? Well, there was the the Blood Inside record Blood that Inside. came out after that, but there was okay. those really like obscure EPs, like Expecting or I, I, that I, went I, along with Perdition City. No, it came after Perdition City. Did um, it use the same uh, album artwork, kind of, or very similar look? Because I've got like three EPs or something it might from be. that. It might which be. I don't know if I've ever even listened to. Yeah, well, the, the, <laughs> the two the two I'm thinking of, and I'll have to I'll have to run over to the the lab and, and check the, yeah. the 
the sort of music library in the background here. But um, yeah, and, and again, a lot of the stuff that I was telling Mark came out like on Voices of Wonder in the late '90s, early 2000s. Bogus Blimp was a, yep. a band, you know, uh, you know, just this bleak kind of stuff that mixed sort of old timey folk minimalism free jazz sort of weird saxophone elements with rock with indie with mm-hmm. pop it was all starting to happen and shrink as a record is is a very much a transitional one shrink and 12 are sort of like these albums that don't quite know what they want to be yet yeah yeah and that's why we're only playing one song off each but uh there's nothing wrong with them per se it's just that they're um, they're not essential. They're a band in transition, you know, like mm-hmm. they're a band just really sort of trying to sort of, you know, find their wings, you know, and I like them. Um, I mean, if you're a completist, like, like we are with, with those, you know, like a band like no twist, they're definitely worth picking up, but yeah, I think you're going to be infinitely more interested in where we end this set. Um, even if you're not a metal fan, I think it's hard to miss the appeal of great songwriting on the, on a level like, uh, neon golden, you know, which oh, absolutely. their absolute masterpiece and the record that really broke them in America. They had three singles that were out pilot, pick up the phone and, um, Maybe, it might have been consequences. Yeah, was it wasn't Neon Gold? I don't think it was. It might have been consequences or uh, this room, possibly, off the. Rail. This room sounds kind of familiar. Yeah, I don't know. Right. It's hard to say. Uh, I mean, they weren't like singles that were like dominating the radio airwaves, but their videos done, and they've sent probably college stations and stuff. Too, yeah, you know? good college stations, yeah. not ours. That I think I may have tried to get. Uh, yeah, that was a lost cause. Yeah, I, I really tried to save CMU Radio, but there's a lot of ass clowns that were involved. Oh, in that. Still are. But um, production-wise, this is, I mean, it's unbelievable. And this is draped in, in console, uh, yeah. the, the sort of Martin Greshman's kind of presence, um, you know. And we'll talk more, I guess, about, like, kind of Neon Gold and, and uh, their last record that they did, The Devil You Plus Me, when we sort of come back. But, um, you know, these four songs show band going from, you know, 95 all the way to 2012 over the course of three records. And so it's that's a lot of years and a lot of evolution mm-hmm. to sort of taking place and you can tell that after shrink they they sort of took their time they took four years to put out neon gold and really work it out and yeah it sounds like a record in a soundscape that's that's fully realized you know it's it's exactly what the band wants to be you know so um but yeah anyways we'll come back and talk about neon gold and stuff a little bit but we've got puzzle electric bear pick up the phone and then the title track neon golden from neon golden Thank you. 
pick up the phone Answer me at last
Neon Golden, pick up the phone, Electric Bear, and Puzzle. And uh, uh, answer me at last. Answer today. me at last. <laughs> yeah, pick up the phone. Um, you know, momentous, uh, beautiful, emotional, it's bleak sad, as hell, bleak. Too. Yeah, uh, the textures. I mean, this is now a record that's that's clearly not only informed by like an OK Computer, but you know, uh, albums like Vespertine and Kid A and Amnesiac yeah. from Radiohead had such a huge effect. But they're also like, um, there's a band I don't know if you're familiar with them, like Autrek. Uh, uh, a U T R C H E. Um, it's no, it, really the Utrecht art stores, you know. Uh, <laughs> but Utrecht was like this thing. I think it was something like Trevor kind of got me into, like mm-hmm. when I was just fully like, you know, Mouse on Mars was like another band, like no, I've heard of them that before, I was yeah. just trying to like find weird stuff, like cranky label, and um, yeah. you know, just it was when I was in my tortoise stage and all that kind of stuff, and I was looking for everything. But you know, they were doing a lot of the blips and the scratches and things like that, and. Um, but but like making them into sort of songs, you know, mm-hmm. um, and pick up the phone. Uh, I was telling you, uh, I was actually using a Veronica Mars episode, which is a yeah season one underrated te- television yeah, show. Very very cool show. And then Neon Golden, the title track, um, you know, very bleak and tranquil, dark. The um, uh, the production on that track in particular, I think, is my favorite on the record, purely because it's not it's not because it's like overproduced or layered, but the way uh, the whole song almost sounds like you know like dropping a record needle. And everything is just jacked up and almost like you're on heightened senses or something, mm-hmm. you know, where everything like everything's really loud, but just minor things are happening yeah. throughout it. It's, it's multi-instrumental, but without being overwhelming, you know, yeah. there's like a lot of, a lot of things kind of happening there. And, uh, one thing that's really cool is the sort of Appalachia sort of thing. Oh, I, absolutely. I, the, you mentioned justified, which is a cool TV program yeah. that we're into. Um, but yeah, like mixing because the Justified opener has you know it's kind of like a hip hop meets Appalachia mm-hmm. vibe. But but this is played on electric guitar, but it sounds like it's just the it's really like mic'd up close and like a lot of like even taking like the the top string and detuning it and just like pulling it out and getting a boom. Yeah, out it has of it, almost you know? like almost some of the stuff that like Steve Albini did like with Palace Music or mm-hmm. you know like almost that kind of weird Louisville kind of yeah, approach like, to like it. really uh, embracing the the kind of like the flaws in the playing sure yeah and so you know and so neon golden i mean we just wanted to give you a sample we could talk endlessly about this record but you know it's something you know that's the one usually most people i know own that record yeah no matter what their musical taste is it's it's just it's it's got that quality to it and you know it's from start to finish an amazing record and um 2002 and then they took some time off had some band changes. Uh, they got rid of uh, Messerschmitt and brought in a, a new drummer in uh, 2007. And then in 2008, they put out The Devil You Plus Me. And uh, that's kind of where we'll end things tonight. And not a lot to say about this record. I mean, it was something that I listened to when I, I got it. I like it. Um, yeah, it didn't have the initial quieter, impact of, of you know? Neon Golden, though. Yeah. You know, it's... I think the second half of it suffers from sort of um, a lot of the song kind of sound the same. It doesn't have anything that sort of pops out at you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But a couple of tunes from the beginning of the record are Where in the World and Alphabet. And Where in the World is this very Beyond Dawn, like newer Beyond Dawn, very quiet, foreboding kind of tune to it. Um, A lot of very, like you said, heightened glitches and different things Mm -hmm. kind of happening that layer it. And then Alphabet has like a swan sort of feel to it in a couple moments in the song where they kind of it's kind almost of like jarring noise kind yeah, of thing, yeah but it's not like pleasant all of a sudden i mean it's it's fine for us because we're metalheads but yeah to your average maybe pop or indie listener it might have been a little like abrasive on some level 
you know. Yeah, I think the I mean the record in general doesn't seem like it's necessarily going to. It, it's not really like radio friendly or even like single friendly for that matter. Yeah, it's very kind of sparse and uh, you know kind of at the top of their game as far as refinement mm-hmm. goes. Like taking every unnecessary sound out. Yeah, leaving only what what has to be there, kind of thing. So yeah, and that's that that bleak element. You know, I mean, they they never seem to leave, be able to leave behind their past on some level that they came from a I guess darker origins or something. Well, I mean, I think the word you said, you know, dissonant is that's that's what's kind of permutated every single record they've done. That's mm-hmm. always been the constant. Yeah, that and the vocal patterns. Almost, yeah, you know, yeah. almost kind of the same. So. Yeah, but uh, hopefully you've enjoyed the journey. Uh, you know, they're a strange band. They're they're loud enough at times, as you've heard throughout the, the podcast, to necessitate at least you know certainly a mention, if not like what we did, you know, full podcast. And yeah. uh, you know, let us know what you thought. So, uh, shoot us an email at requiempodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you know, drop us a line on Facebook um, or you know, leave star us a reviews, comment. man. Yeah, and and if you'd like to be an executive producer like this show was executive produced by. Uh, go to requiempodcast.com and click on the Be an Executive Producer button. There you go. Uh, it's very, very, very helpful. Cool. Especially in these trying economic times. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, uh, yeah, and certainly with a, with something like the No Twist, um, because we're experimenting, uh, this is the kind of thing like we like to hear feedback, whether mm-hmm. this is something you enjoyed or didn't enjoy, and, and sort of what your, your feel was, because certainly we're comfortable and familiar enough with this band, but... You know, it might be so left of center that, you know, maybe it caught you off guard, but maybe in a good way. And so we want to hear that kind of feedback or if it didn't, you know. And yeah, and it's it's a kind of uh, it's a less, you know, metallic band that probably nobody's even heard of. It's like a weird jumping in point. You know, it's like, well, maybe they could have talked about Radiohead. Wouldn't that have made more sense? But sure. But that'd uh, be the obvious choice. And we yeah, we don't like this. There's there's definitely more metal influence back in the day. Yeah. So it's as obvious as Crystal Age was. Yes. (laughs) And with that, we could turn on a dime. Crystal yeah. Age to no twist. Crystal Age to no twist. And wait until you see where we go next week. That, that should <laughs> yeah. be even more fun. A little so. further back in time. Um, but so I guess uh, enjoy from the devil you plus me. We have Where in the World and Alphabet. So uh, for Record Metal Podcast, I'm Jason. And I'm Mark.
Requiem Metal Podcast, episode 128, brought to you by executive producer Shauna Perez. Thank you very much for your support.